0: When you look back on your life, if you're told you have 24 hours left to live, virtually everything you think about will be something talked about in philosophy. Isn't it odd that the questions that will be most entertained by you, arguably, are the philosophical ones? Mm. So you live all your life ignoring the very questions that, when you look back on your life, are most profound to you.
1: Welcome to Voices of Santa Clara. Idea doesn't
0: get you and if we'd hit those, there would have been an explosion. We would have died, obviously. The scholarship should cultivate the virtues. Worry more about: Am I searching
1: for what I should be doing next in the world? Hello everyone, welcome to Voices of Santa Clara. I'm your host Gavin Cosgrave, a senior at Santa Clara University, coming to the end of my winter quarter and senior year. Only got a few months left, kind of crazy, a little bit scared, Anyway, today is the final episode in the bronco Adjunct Lecturer Series. It's going to be a great conversation. I think you're going to really enjoy it. Today's guest is Brian Buckley, who is a senior lecturer in the philosophy department at Santa Clara. His research focuses on the philosophy of law, political philosophy, and applied ethics. And in this conversation, we touch on the importance of studying philosophy and the impact it can make on everyday life. Brian shares his perspectives on how philosophy can help you rethink your behavior and make you into a more thoughtful and ethical person. He's got a lot of wisdom around philosophy, and even if it's been 20 years since you've taken a college philosophy class, I think you'll get a lot out of it. So here we go. Enjoy the conversation. Dr. Buckley, thanks for joining me on the podcast. So maybe to start out, how did you get interested in philosophy and decide it's something you wanted to teach?
0: So uh, it the, the story is kind of interesting. When I was undergrad, I was a business major and a history major, mm-hmm. and I wasn't interested in philosophy at all. But mm-hmm. I had to, I transferred from University of Washington to Seattle University, which is a Jesuit school. And so they had a philosophy requirement there that you had to take um, an introduction to philosophy and philosophy mm-hmm. of the human person. Mm-hmm. And so I just went through taking my business and my history classes and then I had to take these philosophy classes Mm -hmm. and the first one was okay it was just a kind of a survey class of some philosophy but I wasn't happy taking it because Mm -hmm. I figured I've got other things to do and so then the the second one was uh the philosophy of the human person Mm -hmm. and uh with the best teacher I've ever had in my Mm -hmm. entire life and so the questions there were just profoundly interesting ones like what is free will and can animals think? Do animals have a soul? What does it mean? Do you have an immortal soul? And then reading the classic arguments and philosophical works from Plato. And um, and within 10 weeks, I wasn't the same person. Hmm. It was a pivot point in my life. And I hmm. knew that for the rest of my life, it was what I wanted to do. And it's funny, at that point, I was even accepted already to law school. Hmm. So I actually ended up, it did go to law school, uh, hmm. but then studied at the same time I was there. To, took a lot of theory classes, and then mm-hmm. planned to get a PhD after law school. Mm-hmm. And then, kind of what I've done with that since then is do a lot of specialization in philosophy of law, teaching tons of philosophy of law, like uh, two classes uh, every year on philosophy of law for CNI, then two mm-hmm. classes every year um, and CNI on rule of law, and mm-hmm. then upper division classes on natural law and all of that. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was all because of that one professor, um, hmm. and so I always try in my mind, somewhere in the back of my mind, to be that professor to another student huh. if I can. So, so I finished at Seattle U, and hmm. then I went on to law school, and then mm-hmm. and then I went on to grad school, right, PhD, right, or in
1: philosophy. Right, and I think I wanted to briefly come back to that class that <laughs> yeah. you took. Like what, what was it about the? professor or the topic that made it so, like, life-changing and made you want to kind of change the course of what you were studying?
0: Well, it's, it's interesting because I, I assumed philosophy would be a waste of time. Mm-hmm. I assumed it would be, you know, just asking some questions like, why do people die and stuff like that, you know, which are fine. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to get stuff done. And I didn't want to just sit there and mm-hmm. ask these questions. And so what the class did for me was expose me to problems and questions about how to be most fully human, Mm. which is of course something I can't escape because I'm human. So it made me more alive. Mm. It made me, and I see this in students' eyes if I'm doing my job Mm -hmm. well which is that they come to you after class, and they're both frustrated and happy at the same time. Mm. They're frustrated because you're asking such a good question, and they're frustrated because they haven't thought of it before, but they're happy because they're thinking about it. Mm. And he did that. The professor, his name was uh, Patrick Burke. He did that better than any professor I've ever had. And... And then, of course, and he did it in a subject where the subject sells itself. The the problem with philosophy is not that it doesn't have something worth saying. The problem with philosophy is often it's said in kind of difficult ways. Hmm. And the student doesn't understand what it's saying. But once they understand, Hmm. most students think like, wow, okay, this is why I've heard of Plato. Hmm. This is why I've heard of Aristotle. Um, Because I tell them all the time. I say, look, if you think this is worthwhile, it's not because I'm presenting it to you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's because in your mind, it's worthwhile. Mm-hmm. I mean, a, a professor can tell you something's worthwhile to the cows come home. It doesn't mean you're going to believe it. Mm-hmm. But when you see it's relevant to your life, then you understand, okay, I, I will spend more time working on papers on this stuff or reading this stuff. And so... And so that class really did that to me. Mm-hmm. It, made, it, made, it made me more alive. It made me mm-hmm. ask more questions. It made me realize the value in engaging ideas and not just memorizing them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think a lot of students would recognize, like, oh, you know, philosophy is you know, is fun. It's fun to mm-hmm. discuss this this sort of ideas, but I want to make sure in my college experience, I'm doing something like employable sure, and it gives course. me tangible skills, right? So, what's kind of the the argument for studying philosophy for, or what, why it's not just you know sitting back and having discussions about the meaning of life? Yeah,
0: no, it's a, I always tell students. Uh, a couple things, like let's say it's an ethics class, mm-hmm. I think that that the first day, uh, the professor should entertain the idea or the question of why study ethics or why be good. I mean, students are going to be asking this question anyway, so you might as well entertain it. And so, but a lot of people are like, oh no, we, we can't ask that question or, or let's avoid that question. And a similar question is, is like, well, what am I going to do with this? Mm-hmm. If a philosophy professor is scared of that question, then I, I don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're spending a lot of money. You're spending a lot of time, that which of course is money because you could be putting that time towards something else mm-hmm. and uh, whether it be another degree or accumulating wealth or anything like that. But instead you're spending it here and you're spending it studying philosophy. So what are you going to get out of it? I think that's a totally fair question. And my answer to that is partially on the website because I put together the website myself and, mm-hmm. I, and I wrote a piece on the, the department website called Why Study Philosophy mm-hmm. uh, and my argument there is, is that when you look back on your life if you're told you have 24 hours left to live virtually everything you think about will be uh, something talked about in philosophy. You'll be thinking about your friendships, your relationships, what kind of citizen you were, whether or not you've made the world a better place, whether or not there's a God, whether or not uh, uh, your soul will live on, Mm -hmm. whether your regrets when you didn't spend enough time with your children or Mm -hmm. your your spouse, uh, whether or not, uh, what was the meaning of your life? Mm -hmm. Why do some people die younger than others? You will be thinking all these things. Mm -hmm. You will. Well, every single one of them is a philosophical question. Mm -hmm. So when you look back on your life, isn't it odd that the questions that will be most entertained by you, arguably, are the philosophical ones? Mm. So you live all your life ignoring the very questions that when you look back on your life are most profound to you. Mm. And it's interesting. And you began your life as a philosopher because because just hang around three-year-olds. Why is the sky blue? Why do insects have six legs and 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 spiders have eight legs? Mm-hmm. Why do some pe- why are some people colorblind? Why do people die? Why, why did why did Grandma die? What are dreams for? Why why do people have different dreams? Why doesn't mm-hmm. everybody have the same dream? Mm-hmm. Why is th- why are some people so mean? Mm-hmm. Every single one of those is a philosophical question. Mm-hmm. The very nature of the human is philosophical. Now, taking all of that and then considering the employment again. I, I think that you should work on being employable. Um, so if a student wants to major in philosophy, I don't mind asking them, like, what do you intend to do after you leave here? Mm-hmm. Uh, I encourage double majors all the time, especially if it's something you can do within the same uh, College of Arts and Sciences, mm-hmm. like, a, like say, economics. Most mm-hmm. economics is in the College of Arts and Sciences. Now, some is in business. And you can get a, two degrees, one from the business school and one from the College of Arts and Sciences. It's just a little harder. Um, but I have a law degree, so... There's no better, in my opinion, no better degree for law school than philosophy. Mm -hmm. And how do I know? Because that's often what law school professors say, Mm -hmm. because philosophy is all about argumentation. In fact, the method they teach in law school is called the Socratic method, Mm -hmm. (laughs) named after a philosopher and I can tell you the number of times in law school the references to Hobbes come up to Locke, to Rousseau to Plato, to the Republic to natural law, it's just all over the place, being on the web page of Why Study Philosophy, I put Mm it together an entire paragraph about employment statistics Mm -hmm. and the interesting thing about philosophy majors is while they start off pretty low and and, and in similar ways to like liberal arts, Mm -hmm. by the mid career, no single degree except math No single degree, not engineering, not any accounting, no single degree has a greater jump in the amount of money made from when they start to mid-career than philosophy. None. So... It, it, why? Well, because what is it that philosophy teaches you? How to think critically, how to make arguments, how to read difficult texts, mm-hmm. how to articulate ideas, mm-hmm. how to think outside the box. Well, guess what? Those are the very things that will, whether you're working at Google or you're whether or you're working in a law firm, those mm-hmm. are the things both employers want, and will make you be a better employee, and will bit make you better thinker, and be able to get more promotions. Mm-hmm. So. It makes sense, in many ways, uh, The uh, if you're honest about the difficulty in the beginning and you're honest about understanding what employers want.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In addition, another thing to think about is that increasingly employers are searching for people who can do ethics, who can do virtual reality questions, mm-hmm. who can deal with artificial intelligence. These are all things philosophy studies. Mm-hmm. So, for example, look at what's going on in Facebook. Look at all the problems. Look at all the ethics. The privacy questions. Who are they asking for a commentary from? Philosophers. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, when you look at Facebook in terms of its economic model, it probably seems pretty damn solid. The problem with them is not the economics, the problem is the ethics. Mm Now, over time, the ethics will start to affect the economics mm-hmm. because people will say, like, forget Facebook, I'll do something else. I'll do Instagram, I'll, I'll do a Snapchat or something mm-hmm. like that. I'll find another outlet for social media. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the answers that you have to give. I also remind students you can always get a minor. hmm I try to keep track of students, and I've kept contact with students. For example, one of my favorite students, he fought to take every class with me that he could because he was a computer engineering major,
1: Mm.
0: which is a brutal degree, Yeah, brutal. But he's the one who's contacting me years later, having coffee with me years later, wanting to talk about philosophy ideas. And he now is getting a PhD in computer engineering. So it's Mm. not as though he left it behind. He worked at a startup. And then now he's working on his PhD, but Hmm. he still talks about philosophy. Hmm. So if a computer engineer can see the value of philosophy, my attitude is, it's like, well, okay, there's there's a there there. There's something there.
1: Like, how do you think of the... Current, either like political situation or like maybe tech Silicon Valley climate, like how would those be different if more people studied philosophy or if there were more philosophers involved?
0: Well, it's kind of an interesting question because there's no, unfortunately, so I I would want to give you an answer of course that it would make all the difference in the world. Hmm. And, but I can't because, Hmm. because you can study anything and then forget it when it doesn't match with what you want. Hmm. So I can present you, for example, I tell my students this in my ethics class. Um, the point of having an ethics core requirement is to affect your behavior. It's not just so that you learn Kant and you learn Mill and you mm-hmm. re- read feminist ethics and all these kind of things. I said, you, you know, you can get an A in this class, in my ethics class, and celebrate by cheating on your girlfriend. You can get an A in my class and celebrate by going out and stealing something. Mm -hmm. There is simply no guarantee that knowing what's right and good Mm -hmm. will make you do what's right and good. Mm -hmm. And so... I want to believe that the exposure to people of ethic, to philosophy will affect their behavior, but even in the field of philosophy, there's people who've acted in horrible ways, and some of them are ethicists. So there's this weird thing in human nature, and it occurs in religion too, mm-hmm. where what you profess to be true or you know to be true doesn't always inform your personal behavior unless mm-hmm. you really believe it. So part of what I try to do is to get students to really believe it, mm-hmm. to really see it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, because, you, Well, it's a difficult question. It's, it's, I try to, I, first of all, in my ethics classes, I try to build up empathy. Like, Like when you're teaching questions of race. Mm-hmm. Say like I'm a white male. Like what would it be like to be an African-American male and walk into a room and every single person is white except you. Because as a white male, you've probably never walked into a room where everybody else was African-American. But this is the common um, daily thing around Santa Clara if you're African-American. I mean, this, this campus has an extremely small percentage of African-American students. So I I say, well, what would that feel like? Mm -hmm. Not like, oh, here's what Kant said, and here's what Mill said. We will learn that. Mm -hmm. But that's—I don't know that's going to stay with you. Mm -hmm. So what stays with you are stories. What Mm -hmm. stays with you are are pictures and narratives um, of asking uh, or reading about people who seem lost, about reading about people who seem— Um, forgotten Mm -hmm. and then um, while I I probably preach a little too much Mm -hmm. um, that's also one of the ways I do it like look I tell people all the time like this is I I did this when I would uh, do pre-law advising too it's like look this is your life do you want to be mediocre do do you want to be a mediocre father a mediocre citizen a mediocre friend Mm -hmm. I said uh, look at look at what if you started learning guitar Mm -hmm. what was the first thing you did you went out and bought a poster of Jimi hendrix and you put it on Mm -hmm. the wall or if you wanted to be a baseball player you didn't put somebody on the wall whose batting average was like 212 Mm -hmm. you put somebody who was a hall of famer Mm -hmm. so we don't admire people who are mediocre well then why would you want to be a mediocre boss or mediocre husband or mediocre citizen or friend or son Mm -hmm. Um, what we admire is excellence which includes moral excellence Mm-hmm. And and I tell them basically, and you know that's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and another thing I say to them, I said uh, I do this little scenario in my ethics classes where, 15 years from now, at long after the class is over, and they don't remember my name or anything mm-hmm. along those lines, I I tell them to look into a monitor. Let's say we they're 35 or 37 or something like that, and then they look into a monitor like a a big computer monitor and they sit down and, and I tell them to come into a room, bring some food, sit down. And for eight hours, they watch themselves 15 years from now Mm. or 17 years from now. And they watch how they talk. If they have kids, they watch how they talk to them. If they have a spouse, they watch how they talk to her or to him. Mm -hmm. They watch how they order coffee at Starbucks and talk to coworkers and all this kind of stuff. And I said, you know what? Um, and if you're an asshole to people, that's because you've let yourself become an asshole. Whose fault is it? So so how do you then today
1: mm-hmm.
0: at 20, 21, 22, how, what do you do to make sure that you don't become an asshole at 35? Because mm-hmm. most people who are, they don't think they are. Mm-hmm. They just think it's a dog-eat-dog world, or people are too sensitive, or I'm funny. or mm-hmm. You take someone like Scrooge. Scrooge thinks everybody else is wrong. Mm-hmm. So he, over time, because he has not questioned things, he has not. So also the the, the role of questioning. Mm-hmm. I said, is it too much at the end of every week for the rest of your life to spend five, ten minutes and ask, what kind of friend am I? Mm-hmm. Because if you do these things, actually, then philosophy will start to have an effect in your life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, as part of being a teacher, is you just send people out, most of whom you never see again, and just hope you've said something, you've done something, mm-hmm. you've given them something to read, especially in ethics, that will affect their lives long after they um, can barely remember your name or remember mm-hmm. your name at all. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of hope involved. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it seems like you're valuing the process of questioning more than any answers that I
0: yeah. you know come to. Because if, I, if, you, if you were in a class with me with Aristotle, mm-hmm. and you uh, uh, we went through deep, great details of, say, his great work on ethics, the Nicomachean ethics, and I asked you tons of questions, and I gave you quizzes, and I gave you papers and exams, and you you know were happy when the quarter was over, and, and uh, you knew tons of Aristotle. A year later, what do you think it would happen if I gave you the same test, uh, would give you the same exam or papers? You, you would you'd probably Cs or Ds if, if that. Mm-hmm. So part of teaching the substance of things is understanding that a year later, they're going to remember, if you're lucky, half of it. And that's mm-hmm. probably even if they major in it, right? Mm-hmm. So then what can you give students that will endure?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's the method. Because while they don't remember where they learned it, they're still engaging texts carefully. They're still Mm -hmm. paying attention to the argument. They're still asking for justification for why the company should invest in the Far East, even though they learned that in an ethics class about Mm -hmm. how to justify. They're still being discerning and questioning in their own life. Mm -hmm. Long after, again, not only they forgot me, but they forgot that maybe it was my class that helped them at least in Mm -hmm. part learn that. Mm -hmm. So that's why... I, I try to be very realistic. Mm-hmm. The thing I can impart that will obtain, or that, that will endure, excuse me, is mm-hmm. the method much mm-hmm. more than
1: the substance.
0: Although I think the substance matters. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I hope they remember Aristotle a year later, but...
1: Yeah. Well, what do you think your favorite part about teaching is?
0: Well, it isn't grading. Just, <laughs> it just kills me. Mm-hmm. I just hate it. Um, I think my favorite part is watching students who... I probably didn't appreciate what was going on in their head and thought that they were just maybe just doing the the requirement. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the quarter, like in the last week, they raise their hand a couple times and say just profoundly interesting things and quote things from the second week or something like that. And you realize, first of all, You're angry at yourself because you were probably judging them incorrectly, Mm -hmm. and you shouldn't be judging them at all because you don't Mm -hmm. know what's going on inside another person's head. You try to be humble about this, but there's a certain pride in knowing that the reason they're there is because you've pushed them in -hmm. your class to think through these things. Yeah. So it's a very, it's a, it's a very, it's like, it's like when they talk about how psychologists say how fruitful, uh, no pun intended, how fruitful gardening is, Mm -hmm. because you get to see actually. And it's good for you psychologically because you Mm -hmm. actually get to see the stuff you've been fertilizing and pruning and everything. And then it starts to flower, starts to bear Mm -hmm. fruit. And you know that, yes, you aren't the plant, Mm -hmm. but but for you, the plant probably wouldn't have flowered as well. Mm. But does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So that's incredibly fulfilling and humbling. And especially if it's like an 18-year-old woman. Mm-hmm. And I'm a you know middle aged male, mm-hmm. um, and and she has now come into her own and more confident, more questioning, um, more willing to not put up with other people's crap mm-hmm. uh, in a in a society that you know treats women poorly and stuff like that. It's just incredibly affirming.
1: Yeah. Cool. There's a couple of questions I like to ask at the end of every conversation. So first, uh, what piece of advice would you give to an incoming first year student at Santa Clara?
0: I I think I'd give an old school piece of advice, which is ignore the people who are telling you that college is about finding yourself Mm -hmm. and all of these other things. Mm -hmm. You can do all of that outside college. College Mm -hmm. is a four year opportunity to expose yourself to great ideas which will help you find yourself and help you figure out who should be your friends. My advice is you're here. Don't be here unless you're going to take it seriously Mm -hmm. because you can come back later. There's no, there's no hurry. There's so it's like when I give advice for pre-law, it's much better to do it right Mm -hmm. than to do it quickly. Mm -hmm. So commit yourself to doing your best And that's all you can ask for somebody. We're not all the same in calculus and other things. But know that when each class is done, you can say to yourself, even if you got a C, Mm -hmm. I did my best. Mm -hmm. And build a sense of pride towards an education. What you will find is you will hopefully start to gather the habits, especially of studying and all of that that then will actually make it easier for you to form friendships later on Mm -hmm. because you now don't have to study as long because Mm -hmm. you know how to study. And you now are forming friendships who have other people who have different ideas because Mm -hmm. you're now engaging them. But it's because you've done the hard work and taken this seriously. Mm -hmm. The school's too damn expensive, and it takes up too much of your time to do it in a way that's anything other than full commitment. Mm -hmm. That would be my advice.
1: Yeah, yeah. Are there any... uh favorite destinations or places in the world that you've traveled to
0: well alaska Hmm. alaska is i'm I'm very much drawn towards the pacific northwest but alaska stays with me it makes me happy to think about just because it's beautiful Mm -hmm. and i i'm i'm if it's above 80 degrees i'm complaining so i like it cool um Mm -hmm. and the trees and the mountains and uh it's just very calming. Uh, people have different places that make them calm. Mm-hmm. For me it's the forest. Mm-hmm. I like especially if it's like softly rainy mm. like it does in the Pacific Northwest yeah. where it has that sound. The great there's this great forest in, um, on the west coast of Washington State where you're walking through the forest uh, and it's pretty dense forest and with conifers and everything and lots of ferns. And then in the middle of walking on this path you start to hear the ocean. Mm. and so you can hear the waves but you can't see the ocean at all but you're in the middle of the forest and then the forest goes right to the beach and then stops mm. and, and it's, a, it's part of uh, Olympic National Park so you can't even uh, you're really not even supposed to take like the driftwood off the beach so it's a beach that would have looked the same way a thousand years ago mm. and um, when I, th- that's the kind of thing that makes me really happy yeah. to, to, and, um, to, and peaceful I guess I should say yeah, It's yeah. not grading. Grading never makes me peace. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it's cool. Uh, if you could send a message to every person in the United States, what would you want to say? In these times,
0: I would want to say that commitment to principle is much more important than whatever party you are or whatever your family says or whatever consequentialist point of view you're engaging in of using people to get what you want the commitment to principle such as the rule of law such as the separation of powers such as a commitment to the country becoming better each year
1: Mm -hmm.
0: is much more important than winning Mm -hmm. and and, um, it's much more important to understand that it's not just that you win, it's how you win that matters. Mm-hmm. And, and our age seems to forget that, and in my opinion, and I, person who, my politics has, especially when I was younger, been more on the conservative side, mm-hmm. but right now I'd say this is especially forgotten by the Republicans, mm-hmm. who seem to mm-hmm. not care what this president does in terms of, not just morality, mm-hmm. but just in terms of the separation of powers, mm-hmm. in terms of the Constitution if you're patriotic, the greatest thing about this country, in my opinion, is the Constitution and the law that we set up, and going all the way back to the pre-Constitution, to the Declaration of Independence. Well, if you care about those things and you consider yourself a patriot, uh, that seems to me to run counter to supporting some of the things, uh, many of the things that this president is doing, which, by the way, I don't consider conservative things at all, Mm -hmm. because I don't think he's a conservative, because he's not preserving anything. So my advice to them would be be stick to your principles as long as your principles are discerning Mm -hmm. do not say one thing and do one thing and make sure those principles are ones you can always articulate in front of your children Mm. and your children's children
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and finally what does an ideal Saturday look like for you
0: (laughs) I'm such a boring person an ideal Saturday for me could include the gym maybe going shopping with some friends maybe like getting some dinner later on um Maybe heading out to like uh, you know a bar with some friends. Mm-hmm. I mean it's pretty boring stuff like that. I don't have fancy tastes. Mm-hmm. Um, spending time of that during the day uh, of that day, maybe an hour reading, with a cup of coffee. So it's a combination of friends and family and me time, like the gym and stuff like that, and learning. Maybe some gardening because yeah.
1: gardening makes me happy.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, that that's something pretty boring i'm not going to say
1: a trip to spain or something <laughs> no cool well thanks yeah. so much for doing yeah, this conversation. Hey, yeah. hey everyone thanks for tuning in you can subscribe on apple podcasts and now on spotify so that you don't miss an episode check out the website at voicesofsantaclara.com for some shortened transcripts and you can like the facebook page and follow on twitter i'll see you next time